Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I have not been looking forward to this day. This day where the season of Strange New World ends and we have to wait another year for another season. And... We don't have any new Star Trek in the following week, which is just amazing in itself because I'm so used to new Star Trek all the time. Welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson, and I have with me, of course, Dan Gunther. And Dan, how do you feel about the end of the season of Strange New Worlds and no Trek next week? Okay, I mean, just try to pull it together to do this podcast, man. You had to bring that all up, but... Yeah, no, um, I'm okay. Uh, but but yeah, it, it's crazy how many weeks of Star Trek we've had in a row. And uh, yeah, it, it's coming to a, a, a pause, I guess. Not an end. There's more Star Trek coming, but there's there's a bit of a pause. And this se- this first season of Strange New Worlds has been so good. It's, it's sad that... Uh, yeah, next Thursday is going to roll around, or I guess this Thursday is going to roll around, and there's no new Star Trek to watch. That's crazy. It is, but it's also crazy that we've had so much new Star Trek, because I'm just thinking back to when I first started podcasting in 2015, and the only new Star Trek on the horizon was Star Trek Beyond, and there was nothing beyond that. (laughs) You know, like, that was it. Like, well, we're going to get a third movie in the Kelvin timeline, and who knows if we'll get one after, which we're still asking that question. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Who'd have thought we'd still be asking that particular question by this point, this many years later, too. But yeah, really, we've been absolutely spoiled with regards to Star Trek on television and with the promise of so much more still to come as well. And I love that promise. I can't wait. So Mm -hmm. we don't have any official dates, but yes, Prodigy's coming up. And before that, Lower Decks is coming up. So I'm ready for some Lower Decks. I was watching some on Paramount Plus the other day, just randomly watching a part of, I was, well, in other words, I was waiting for my wife to come into the room so we can watch this last episode, Strange New Worlds. And as I'm waiting, I'm just playing some Lower Decks, (laughs) you know? As I wait for her, because that's what we're going to talk about on today's show in the feature is our review of A Quality of Mercy, episode 10 of season one, the season finale of Strange New Worlds. But before we get to that, we do have some news items, which includes some Strange New Worlds news, but we're going to put that on the back end of the news, because if you're not up to date with Strange New Worlds, there's some spoilerish type stuff in there that you might want to avoid. So we'll catch up on some other news and then we'll give you fair warning before we hit the strange new worlds news. 
Awesome. Also, I just want to say, like, the idea of you watching Lower Decks before sitting down to watch Strange New Worlds, it's like the old days of going to the theater and there's the little cartoon before the actual movie. I, I kind of <laughs> love that. <laughs> That's true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> But that was also fun because you're watching something that's in the 24th century and then going back to the 23rd century and, you know, animated comedy and more serious drama, live action. It just was like there's still Star Trek, but so different from one another. Oh, man. I just realized what I need in my life is the joke that I'm sure Lower Decks is going to make about Pike's hair in some future episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, they've got to, right? I'm thinking of sporting that hairdo now, but I don't know. My hair's kind of receding, which isn't fair because Anson Mount and I are about the same age. He's a little younger than me, and his hair is sticking with him. I mean, I'm, I'm not balding or anything about it. It's just the front part. It's mm -hmm. just the front part that's bothering me. You know, I'm not going to air my dirty laundry here, but let's talk <laughs> about the news. So Star Trek Universe returns to San Diego Comic-Con on July 23rd, coming up real soon, and that's a Saturday. And this is exciting because they're going to have a panel that's going to cover Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Surprisingly, there's nothing about Prodigy on here. Hmm, that's true, yeah. Um, this looks amazing. Again, the San Diego Comic-Con has been on my bucket list for years. I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to do it, but... I would love to be able to be in Hall H for this huge Star Trek panel. And I also love that it's moderated by Leah Thompson, who, of course, is Lorraine from Back to the Future and directed a couple of episodes in Star Trek Picard Season 2 and even appeared in one episode of Picard Season 2. So uh, I love that Leah Thompson is part of the Star Trek universe, first of all. And uh, second of all, that she seems to be really embracing her role as someone that's part of the Star Trek universe now. Yes, exactly. So that's really cool. And so, yeah, she's going to handle all these. So it's not like she's just going to talk to the Picard people, but the Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds people. So her connection really has only been to Picard. But now, you know, yeah, she's touching on these other things. And it's cool because she's going to have Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden there on the panel with her without with Alex Kurtzman and Rod Roddenberry. Ooh, very cool. Of course, you know, teasing that we're getting so many of the TNG cast in season two, along with, of course, Dr. Beverly Crusher. So, oh man, <laughs> a character that I'm so excited to see enter this post-TNG Star Trek Picard world. You know the question is going to come up. So do Picard and Crusher, do they get together this season? And they'll probably just go, mm, I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> and we have the voice cast of Lower Decks there, the four main cast members with Mike McMahon, the creator of the show. So they're going to be talking about probably what's coming up on Lower Decks. I guarantee you that we're going to see a clip from the new season. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then Strange New Worlds, we have Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, Christina Chong, Celia Rose Gooding, and Kirk himself, Paul Wesley, who we heard is going to be in season two. And so that's going to be cool with, of course, producers and Rob Ronberry there. So also you mentioned a clip from Lower Decks. I just clicked over to trekmovie.com just to see if there's any news stories that we've missed. 
And apparently there has been a clip released for Lower Decks Season 3 here. It's unavailable in my area, of course, because I'm in Canada, so I can't see what it's all about. But uh, I will definitely link that in the show notes because I'm really curious and I may or may not be able to engage a VPN and watch that myself later after we're recording. But uh, yeah, so very, very breaking news here. And I will put a link to that in the show notes for everyone. <laughs> Wait, where, do you, where did you see that? So, yeah, it looks like the clip is from the Ready Room, uh, Will Wheaton's show. And there is an international version that is available. They have a link to On Trek Movie as well. So I, I could watch this uh, without using a VPN. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, there you go. It's breaking news as we're doing the show here as we're recording it. So... Yeah, everyone go check out the clip, and I'm sure it's going to be funny. Well, that being said, maybe we'll get even more Lower Decks at the panel. I'm assuming we will, for sure. And uh, hopefully before that panel, before that date, we have a release date for Season 3 of Lower Decks as well. I'm anticipating we'll get that very shortly. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think we should have that. And you know, when I mentioned earlier about Prodigy... I'm kind of surprised because Prodigy, the last half of season one, is already in the can. It's not still in development. I'm surprised they're not doing anything around that. I mean, I kind of understand maybe not on Discovery because they're still filming and they're still editing. You know, that one's still going on, but Prodigy's done. So I'm surprised they're not doing anything around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I I would love to learn more about that. Maybe there's a separate smaller event around that that hasn't been announced yet. I don't know. I I don't see anything, but you know, the fact that it's being done by a different studio too might be account for the the differences there. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that you know, that's a good point. Nickelodeon may have a presence there and they may be doing something on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we'll have to keep our eyes and ears open for that. In case it comes out after we record this and before we publish this episode of us talking. And people are like, what are they talking about? They already announced the Nickelodeon panel. Why aren't you guys saying about that? Because this, this is the past, people. You're listening to the past. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording this on a Saturday morning. And speaking of Saturdays, as I mentioned, this panel is on Saturday, July 23rd. It's at 12.45 p.m. Pacific time. I don't know if it's going to be streamed anywhere. But just so you're aware and be prepared for any news that comes out, 12.45 p.m. Pacific time. So be on the lookout for that. But if you're going to Comic-Con, you need to go to the Pop-Up 10 Forward Experience and Starfleet Outpost Beer Garden. That's at 345th Avenue from July 21st through the 24th. And this is what really gets me, is not only can you have that experience of visiting 10 forward but you also can have special ice cream that is <laughs> wrath of Khan ice cream it's, i'm like it's wrath of pecan, pecan. <laughs> which i love that is like, wonderful what the heck i've never imagined that there'd ever be wrath of Khan ice cream what i mean I, obviously it has pecans in it right i mean i'm assuming yeah so it's the wrath of pecan cool house ice cream truck celebrating the 40th anniversary of star trek II: the wrath of Khan. this looks really cool it's a woman-owned ice cream brand cool house uh and 
It'll be bringing fans free limited edition Wrath of Pecan ice cream sandwiches via their truck. So I, ah, I can't be there. And unfortunately, this is something that I can't get someone who is there to send me because that would just be disastrous. But Oh, I would really love to try this. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, you know, if we just saw that ice cream somewhere, we might go, oh, I'm not, yeah, maybe I want some ice cream. But because we put Star Trek on it, oh, Mm -hmm. we have to have it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the Star Trek First Contact chocolate bars that came out around that movie. It's like, oh, (laughs) it's just a bar of chocolate, but it's got Star Trek on it. We've got to have it. (laughs) Well, I would like... For anybody who has this ice cream, if, when they try it, to let us know about it. Like, call in and tell us or, or send us an email or something. I'd love to know what you think of the ice cream. But it's at Petco Park Interactive Zone at 100 Park Boulevard there in San Diego on that Saturday, July 23rd from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So look for the branded truck that's giving out the, the pecan ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> and uh, they've even got a website wrathofpecan.com and that's wrath of p k h a n.com uh so <laughs> this looks awesome yeah i'm just clicked on the website right now oh and there's uh kirk going con <laughs> <laughs> oh they show what the truck looks like so you can't miss it that's so cool all right well now maybe we should go i can't go i'm driving to florida that day which really sucks because all this news will be coming out while I'm driving on a long trip. I won't have a time like if trailer drops or a clip drops or anything. I can't be looking at my phone while I'm driving like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, this man, the truck looks cool. I just want photos of the of the truck at San Diego Comic-Con. This looks awesome. Well, and also at the 10 Forward Experience, there's going to be food there. So mm-hmm. I wonder if it's Star Trek themed food. And it says intergalactic drinks. So there could be, you know, there's got to be some Romulan ale. I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, um, this is, I'm assuming, the same 10 forward experience that they've done in the past. And Aaron Harvey raved about it. I remember talking him talking about uh, that experience. So uh, it's pretty cool. I think people should definitely go check that out. After he had many intergalactic drinks, he was just raving about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I don't know if he was drinking. But anyway, <laughs> um, but there's multiple uh, photo opportunities there and interactive activities. And there's just like Klingons and Vulcans and Kelpians all walking around. So, yeah. Uh Man, we should be going, Dan. What's wrong with us? Oh, I wish I could. (laughs) Well, what we'll have to do instead is just watch Star Trek The Motion Picture on Blu-ray. That's what we'll do. Of course, it won't be available for us to watch on Blu-ray on July 3rd because that's coming out later on September 6th. And and not just Blu-ray, by the way. Also, it's 4K UHD Blu-ray. So I've got motion picture on Blu-ray, but this is... 4k ultra high definition blu-ray yeah and this is really cool because we had the release on paramount plus where you could watch this new enhanced director's edition but like you said to have it on 4k ultra hd blu-ray is going to look freaking incredible Mm -hmm. and i okay i admit i don't have a 4k tv or anything 
but I'm almost willing to go out and buy one now just so I can watch this. <laughs> yeah, my last television upgrade, I did get a 4K just, you know, because that's what was available at the time and I needed a new television. But I did actually buy a 4K UHD player just like a month ago in anticipation of this because I don't have Paramount Plus. I still haven't actually seen this newest upgraded version of the director's edition of the motion picture. So I am very much anticipating in September getting my hands on this uh, to watch. And I might, I think what I might do is buy that full six movie set that's coming out in UHD of Star Trek's one through six that includes this edition. You know, that's a whole lot to choose from here because there's three different <laughs> options that you have. Like we said, you can get this director's edition 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and it has new commentaries and old commentaries on it, which is cool. But then there's also the complete adventure 4K Ultra HD that includes this edition of the director's cut, but also the theatrical cut and also the first ever widescreen presentation of the special longer version of the motion picture that was broadcast in 1983 on ABC here in the States. I don't know if I watched it then. I, I don't remember, but that's got some additional scenes that those other two cuts don't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's the exact same edition, but I do remember having a VHS version of the motion picture that was like this special longer version and had some extra scenes in it and stuff. And there's that famous one of Kirk leaving the airlock in his spacesuit, And you can see that the set's not finished on the sides. You can see the rafters of the studio. It's always kind of been a famous thing. Apparently for this version, they have done a matte painting to create the extensions of that. So that's no longer something that people can point and laugh at. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen an official release on that, but all the Star Trek people who are in the know are all social messaging that they have confirmed that this has been done. Mm -hmm. So that to me is of interest. And then like you said, having all six films, that box set. Uh, and that's the first time we're getting Star Trek five and Star Trek six in this format. So yeah. there's a lot of choices to be made here. Yeah. And they are also doing individual releases of all six of those films as well. In case like a lot of people last year, you bought the uh, Star Trek one, two, three, four set. Uh, you can also buy five and six separately, as well as of course, as you mentioned, the director's edition of the motion picture uh, separately, which is different from the one that came out in that set last year. So, uh, you know, if you don't want to have to rebuy everything, you can buy the individual ones to fill out your collection. Or if you're like me and haven't bought that set last year, you can buy that six movie set to get them all at once. Oh man, this is, this is not good, Dan. This is not good for me. <laughs> okay. I, I record, podcasts here in my movie theater room which has become more of my podcasting and slash office room more than the movie theater room now but i do have a projector with a 122 inch screen on the wall which is great for watching movies but all the tech that i'm using is over a decade old so it's not 4k it's not all that you know and it's like i feel like i need to upgrade everything 
because I can't watch this on my big movie theater room screen. And it's going to cost me thousands of dollars to make this upgrade. (laughs) (laughs) Just so I can watch a movie I've seen a million times on the big screen in 4K. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you don't make that upgrade yet, you could get these to future-proof at least for a little while anyway, whatever next big holographic disc comes out to future proof your collection a bit, even if you can't play the, the UHD version of it, you, you know, it's, it's an option anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it's coming out people. And this is just, this is just great. And we're getting new features. There's new deleted scenes on the director's edition and effects test, costume test, graphic display graphics, all new uh, documentary that's in eight parts. So they're not just giving us the film. There's a lot of new content in here too. Yeah, absolutely. But considering how excited we are, we do have a bit of sad news. And Dan, what uh, you informed me of this this morning. Gregory Itzen, who was a prolific actor, been in many productions, uh, guest starring roles and that sort of thing. He played five roles in Star Trek's Deep Space Nine Voyager and Enterprise. Uh, He has sadly passed away. Um, Great actor, uh, died at the age of 74. Like I said, he was in five roles spread over those three series. One of my absolute favorite actors, and he's probably best known as President Charles Logan in a few seasons of the series 24. Uh, He was actually nominated twice for Emmy Awards uh, for acting in a supporting role for that role in in 24. So very good actor. No word on on how he passed away or or what led to that, but uh, sadly... I uh, won't be uh, seeing him on your screens anymore because, uh, yeah, a, a huge loss in my mind because I really love this guy. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing him in my Deep Space Nine rewatch. I'm midway through season three, so I'm sure I'm going to hit him somewhere coming up, probably more than once. Yeah, he's just one more time. So he was in season one. He was in the season one episode Dax, but uh, he also shows up later in Season six, Who Mourns for Mourn? He plays another role in that episode. Uh, I love the role he plays in that. Just as a as a small thing, one of the first things that came to mind when I heard this news was his role of Hain in that episode where he's this kind of bumbling criminal type. And there's this one scene I love where he's holding a phaser on Quark and Quark says something. He thinks about it for a minute and he reaches up and scratches the side of his head with the phaser. he's just like (laughs) such an idiotic character i I love that he's he's so good at playing these very different characters all the time you know i've been enjoying going through my rewatch of deep space nine because i haven't watched it since its original airing i mean i've watched episodes here and there throughout the years but not like from beginning to end like i did when it originally aired and so there's some episodes I'm hitting that I probably haven't seen since the original airing. And yesterday was one of those fascination. Ah, and yes. Boy, Infamous. is that an interesting episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a classic. I, I think the one thing that came out of that, that I learned afterwards that I didn't know at the time was uh, Nana Visitor and Alexander Siddig. Not really acting. 
<laughs> for yeah. their parts at the time. So, or sorry, Sidigel Fadil at the time, I should say. Yeah, I wondered that when they start making out in that episode. I was like, oh, yeah, they uh, either are used to this or this is the thing that started it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I, I vaguely remember the episodes watching it. I was like, this is kind of weird. I enjoyed it. I read that the cast enjoyed doing it, except for Armin Shimmerman says it's the worst episode that he did. <laughs> so Yeah, I... Uh, Cork rubbing his ears against Keiko is still one of the most disturbing things I ever remember from Deep Space Nine. That's more disturbing than Anson Mount as Pike on Arr, <laughs> Much more disturbing, yes. <laughs> well, okay, it's been fun talking about this, but we're going to go into talking about some strange new worlds news. And this is where we could get in some spoiler territory if you're not caught up on Strange New Worlds. So, fair warning, here we go. So, in the latest episode of The Ready Room, which I have not watched yet, <laughs> Will Wheaton travels to the set of Strange New Worlds there in Toronto to interview Ethan Peck and showrunner Henry Alonzo Myers. And they get a tour of a new brand new set on the enterprise coming up in season two and it's the port galley now in past episodes we've seen them in a kind of bar lounge thing that's using the ar wall well now they're replacing that with this this actual physical set that we'll see in season two and i'm looking on the trek core article that we have links to here in the show notes and it looks very it, it, you know, it reminds me of a bar I've been to in Las Vegas. Let me just oh, put wow. it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this looks great. Uh, the Port Galley, they call it, of course. And this has me wondering, is it the Port Galley because it's on the port side of the ship? Or do you sit in there and drink port? <laughs> That's what I want to know. But no, this looks like a gorgeous bar set. Very beautiful. And uh, yeah, uh, I think that's uh, going to be a welcome addition to season two. So here's my prediction. Of something that will happen. We will see the port galley. It will be at the port of the ship. But Guinan is running bar. And Guinan says, it's not called port galley because it's the port of the ship. It's because I used to own a bar named port galley. Oh, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, I did think about they could use the actress who played Guinan from Picard and put her on this. That would be kind of fun. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I'm not I'm not ruling it out. It, it may happen. <laughs> but then in an interview with a Hollywood reporter, co-showrunner Akiva Goldsman said that season two is going to up the stakes in new ways. He says, I feel the job of the show is to take big swings. And by the way, season one will look like a lot of bunning compared to season two. Star Trek is, in my view, most useful when it is emotionally connecting, which includes joy, wonder, and sentiment. I think big swings are how you get there. And by the way, big swings just means not as expected. A big swing can be small. It can be a small story. So when we say big swings, I think we mean a typical. And that is our job right now. Season two will be bigger and better. So I like that he says big swings can be small. Because 
for someone to say, oh, we're going to take big swings, to me that means like, oh, Earth is going to be in jeopardy or, oh, all these people are going to die or something and they're going to do something really outlandish. But no, big swing is something creatively that's maybe different, but it doesn't have to be big. It can be small and have a, have a big impact. Yeah, and I mean, that is something that Strange New Worlds has been good at, I think, in season one is challenging my expectations. So I like that he says atypical here, that things will be not as expected. And I feel like, yeah, that's something they've done well, and I'm curious to see how they continue that. So I was a little worried when I heard big swings as well, but I think his explanation kind of smooths that over a bit. I think so, too. So. Which, again, gets me excited about season two. You know, a big swing would be putting Guyan in, in the port galley. But anyway, I'm just You saying. really want to see this, don't you? <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I really do. And if it happens, I called it right here. Everybody write that down on this, this episode. Go back and listen to it. But then we have Kirk coming up in season two. And as we mentioned, spoiler alert in this news, we do have Kirk in A Quality of Mercy, which we'll be talking about later here in this episode of the podcast. But our actor, Paul Wesley, who plays Kirk, was interviewed with Variety and says that the Kirk we see in A Quality of Mercy is in many ways, he's the same Kirk, but he's not really the Kirk that we know because he's had a completely different life. So there was room in season one for exploration of Kirk in a different way to allow me to put less pressure on myself, at least for that particular episode. We didn't explore Kirk as much as we will in season two. Okay, so I have he has more to say, but I have more to say too. So I'm actually thrilled to hear this because I remember thinking at the time, which we'll talk about later in this episode, the portrayal of Kirk in this episode, I thought, well, this is a different Kirk. He's not the Kirk of the Enterprise. We don't know what life experiences he had in this timeline that we see in this episode. And so the Kirk he's portraying here may be different than how he portrays Kirk in season two, which is also a younger Kirk. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that that's definitely on full display in this episode. He hasn't been influenced by Spock as the, as he mentions here, like Spock hasn't been that tempering influence to him bringing the logic in and all that stuff. So yeah, this is a very different Kirk than we've seen before. And I'm excited to see what, Paul Wesley does with Kirk as a contemporary of Pike rather than this alternate future version we see in this episode. Well, I know what else you're excited about too, is we're going to get an Ortegas central episode. So I, cause you're a big Ortegas fan. I mean, I love Ortegas, but you're a big, big fan. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do like this, um, this quote by Henry Alonzo Myers, where he says, Ortegas does have an episode in season two. We love Ortegas. One of the great things about Ortegas is that she fits so well into every story because she's always kind of in the center of it. You know what I mean? I like to think of her as the person who gets to comment on every single story. Ortegas gets to do a bunch of things that she does in season two that she didn't get to do in season one. So I'll leave it at that. So just a little bit of a tease there, but I, I love that we have an Ortegas centric episode but that's also a good point that she's kind of really good at being the kind of meta commentary on what's going on. So I think that's part of the reason I've really enjoyed the character so much is she's always got something to kind of 
say about what's happening. And sometimes it's starky. Sometimes it's funny. I, I just love what she brings to the show there. Yeah. And I think we've always known that we'll probably get an episode that is centered around her. And, but now this confirms that we will see something. So I'm very excited about that. And maybe she'll be in a scene with Guinan. That would be cool too. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Anson Mount talks about being Admiral Pike. And I loved how he approached this older character because so many times I, I get tired of seeing actors play being old. Like, oh, I'm playing my older self, so I gotta talk like an old person. That's not how Anson Mount did it. He says that, you know, he's talked to people who are in their 70s and 80s and such, and they say, I I feel like I'm the same person. I'm just older. Like, their body is you know, not as spry as it used to be. And I think about my parents who are in their late seventies. And when I talk to them on the phone, for the most part, they feel like and sound like the same people I knew even just like 40 years ago. But when I see them, they do have their physical ailments right now. And that's how he approached it is more in the body movement. And he also found like where he would be mentally in this place of emotion, you know, coming out of emotional turmoil and, you know, and he says, so I thought, what would my voice sound like if I had spent a lot of time sobbing and screaming? <laughs> because oh, wow. I thought he did a excellent job. And, and I didn't, you know, I, I just thought he did an excellent job playing an older Pike because it didn't seem like he was really trying to act old. Yeah, I love that. And I, <laughs> I, I was actually sharing this quote with my wife the other night when we were putting the show notes together and stuff. I, I love where he says... Uh, kind of echoing what you just said, but just the actual words he uses here. Mostly I didn't want to overdo it because if you talk to most people who are in their seventies or eighties, they will tell you that they still feel like they're in their thirties other than a few kinks here and there. Uh, so I, I didn't see that in his performance, but interestingly that he feels this older Pike is kind of kinky. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's got a few more kinks. Okay. No, wait, I mean, uh, I know what he means by that, but I just thought that was a funny little quote there. <laughs> wait, wait, so, so are you saying now that our nickname for older Pike is kinky Pike? There you go. Kinky Pike. I lo- <laughs> That's got a stick. We're, we're calling that right here. Kinky Pike. Yeah. There'll be a day we'll be discussing. Hey, what was the episode with Kinky Pike in it? <laughs> <laughs> and people, new listeners will be like, what? What are they talking? <laughs> That's great. I love it. Inside jokes starting now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the other thing is Hammer. I wanted to save Hammer here for the last one. And... Of course, we see him die in All Those Who Wander at the end of that episode, which is still shocking that that even occurred. But, you know, they realized that Bruce Horick, who plays Hemmer, was such a great actor and they really enjoyed him. And there's now this tease that we may be seeing some more of him in Star Trek. But that tease isn't so much that he'll play Hammer, he could play other characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really interesting. So... Uh, a lot of this news comes from co-executive producer Davey Perez, who is a guest on the Seventh Rule podcast, co-hosted by Ryan Husk and Deep Space Nine's Sirach Lofton. And this whole topic came up about the idea of Hemmer's return. And Perez says, you know, basically makes it clear that Hemmer is really dead. He says, that's kind of hard. I guess flashbacks. There's always flashbacks. But 
just because Hemmer is gone does not mean that Bruce Horak is gone. And and like you said, uh, he will still be a part of Strange New Worlds. So Davey Perez said, the thing we're allowed to say is that Bruce Horak, his relationship with Trek is not over. We really love him. And Star Trek is a long tradition of reusing actors. There are plenty of people that you fall in love with and you're like, well, they were an alien. They could be another alien. They could be without the makeup because they were an alien. So whatever it is in the future, we know his relationship with Star Trek is not over. So Bruce Horak, the Jeffrey Combs of Strange New Worlds, perhaps? <laughs> could be. Yes. And I also think of Kenneth Mitchell from Discovery. I had the they, same thought. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's great that they have that family dynamic that even if an actor's no longer on the show, they want to bring them back in some capacity, you know? So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. But yeah, I'm interested to see uh, how they utilize him. So it'll be great to see him back, Dan. So we didn't lose him totally. And yeah, we still could see some flashback scene that has Hammer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, some people are speculating, oh, he'll show up playing Hemmer's brother. And uh, I, I think they'll think a little bit more outside the box than that. But um, I'm curious to see what they do with him for sure. Yeah, like maybe have him play Hemmer's sister, you know? You there you know. go. Yeah. <laughs> so. But speaking of Hemmer, though, with Chief Engineers, we did see in this latest episode of Strange New Worlds that Scotty was there. We heard his voice and we saw his hand. But uh, then people are speculating does that mean we're going to see Scotty as the new chief engineer? And in our previous Trek core article that we were reviewing, it talks a little bit about that. And it says that we will meet a new chief engineer. It's not going to be Scotty. This is Henry Alonzo Meyer saying this to sci-fi.com. And he says, there will be a new character who I'm excited for you to meet, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. It's going to be a very different person, a completely different type of engineer. So it doesn't sound like it's a character that we're familiar with that we've seen before. It sounds like it'd be a whole new character. So, you know, maybe the whole idea in Strange New Worlds is have a new engineer every season that they kill off. I don't know. (laughs) I really hope not. But uh, yeah, I'm really curious to see who this new character will be. Uh, Really excited to get to know the new engineer for sure. Yeah, and later uh, he spoke to Inverse and said, we're not quite ready to cast our Scotty for a quality of mercy. He says, that's all I can say for now. We're going to meet some very interesting folks. We have seven years to play with here. And you know, there's no reason that every season has to be a year. You could do a season. That's a week. You could do a season. That's six months. Mm -hmm. And, And that's the one thing I've often thought about when I used to watch the original series and I've seen all the timelines and stuff, but I used to think, well, with those three seasons doesn't necessarily mean it was three years. It could be spread out to be the whole five years. It's just, you know, longer periods of time between those different missions, or they could be condensed into a smaller period of time. We're really not told for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That was the one thing that always kind of uh, made me laugh a little bit about Star Trek, the next generation and DS nine and Voyager. It's like the conceit was every season is a year, basically January to December. And it seemed really weird that like every December going into January, there was some big, huge adventure that, that raised the stakes. It was just always right at the end of the year. (laughs) Yeah. The crew's like, Oh, the holidays are coming. Oh, we're going to have a big adventure. (laughs) Oh, what are the Borg doing? Uh Oh, Oh, Klingon (laughs) civil war. Okay. (laughs) 
Oh, another Christmas with the Borg. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a lot of stuff. I didn't expect this much news and we haven't even hit Comic-Con yet. Yeah, this is wild. Uh, Crazy amount of news this week. So, oh boy, this is going to be a supersized episode. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, we also got word that Strange New Worlds has been nominated for Best Streaming Series Drama by the Hollywood Critics Association. So we could see a win here. That would be amazing. I'd love to see this. It's up against some really heavy hitters. But uh, you know, never you never know. Uh, Strange New Worlds has really been hitting it out of the park. So, you know, here's hoping. I think I'll fall out of my chair if, if they win. <laughs> totally. I'll just be like, wow. Because there's like almost like 10 nominees like you know yeah and there's a lot of heavy hitters out there so it'll be uh, interesting to hear when that uh, gets announced the ceremony is sunday august 14th so we have a little time to wait to hear about that so we'll be watching to see what happens so that being said dan i think it's time that we take a quick break and then go into talking about the season finale of strange new worlds oh i'm excited It's that time of the episode again where we give a special shout out to our Patreon supporters, especially those at our Constitution class starship level and higher. So a special thank you to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Justin Ozer, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earl, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber. We really do appreciate all of your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you are interested in making a monthly donation to help keep the show coming to you each week, please visit us at patreon.com slash positivelytrek. If you join at any level, you get access to our Patreon-only feed, where you get early access to episodes and ad-free versions of episodes as well. There are also other great perks. Again, visit us at patreon.com slash positivelytrek to learn more. Thanks again. And now, back to the show. You know I'm working. I just wanted to meet Captain Pike. (laughs) Apologies. Mott has always dreamt about joining Starfleet. What did you say your name is? Mott. Mott Al-Salah. He has a model of the Enterprise back home. Quite a hero. Is it true you can tell him what's working? Apologies, I, I think I need a moment. Welcome back to our spoiler-filled review of the latest Strange New Worlds episode. We're talking about Season 1, Episode 10, Balance of Terror. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. A quality of mercy. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So this episode is very interesting. We're going to assume everybody's watched it. So we're going to go right into it. And Dan, I'm curious. Well, actually, the way I want to start this is I know that you watched the cold open to this episode before you watch the rest of the episode. Like you didn't want you, you stepped away for a day or two or whatever. And mm-hmm. you just saw that first part of it. And what'd you think of that teaser? Oh man, I was blown away. And, and like, little did I know this would be the smallest morsel of what was featured in this episode, but just that the end of that cold open with the elderly Pike showing up in the 
movie era ish uniform. Little little couple changes here and there, but for the most part, the Wrath of Khan style uniform. I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be wild. This is crazy. I'm so, oh, I can't wait. And then, yeah, watching the rest of the episode, I was like, oh yeah, no, the rest of the episode just totally blew that out of the water. But I was just so excited just by that, that uh, I had no idea where this was going to go. <laughs> yeah. Cause the episode starts off with, you know, uh, they go to the edge of the neutral zone where this outpost was and, and the other ship is there and, you know, he's cooking and doing whatever the typical strange new worlds kind of way of starting off with things. And then when he's in his quarters and we see that maroon, the back of the maroon uniform of Senbei standing up and briefly says something to him. My first thought was, oh my gosh, they brought William Shatner back as Kirk. That was my first thought. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. wow. I That I, never entered my head at all. That's funny. I thought, oh my gosh, it's a future Admiral Kirk, and they probably have de-aged him a little, you know, whatever. And I was like getting ready to see that. And then when I saw it's Anson Mount as Pike, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. But that's where my head went. I wondered if they played it that way for you to wonder if it's, Kirk or Spock or somebody from the future in that uniform because they showed the back of because you don't see really the, his head you mm. just really see him from the shoulders down. Yeah, but you do hear his voice first, right? Yes. Like yeah, I, you hear his voice. Like I initially was like, "Hey, that's Pike's voice," and then I saw the uniform and it was like, <gasps> "So I, I maybe yeah, I never thought of it from that angle, but I was I was already like, wait." That's Pike, but he's got that future uniform, but he doesn't live long enough or he doesn't, you know, isn't able to stand that <laughs> right. far into the future. What's going on? And then my brain's like alternate timelines. Ah, wah. But uh, yeah, I was I was just so excited just to see that uniform, first of all. And then like the the record scratch moment of like, oh, this is future Pike from this alternate timeline. Just wow. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, he said when he first stands up, it's just a really brief line. And that's, mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, it wouldn't have sounded like Spock, but I thought it sounded like it could be Shatner. Like it's, it just had, you know, it was just such a short phrase. And I was just like, wait, is that Shatner? Wait, 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 what's going on here? <laughs> but that's where I was. But yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. And then I thought, okay, yeah, how can this be Pike, right? Because he should be in the chair and he didn't, he's not in the maroon uniforms at this point. And so, yeah, it's gotta be some alternate future or, or whatever. But what, what did you think of the style of the uniform? It's very similar, but there are some differences. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. The, there's the, still the kind of shoulder stuff that we have on the uniforms here and, and the little clasp is kind of different and stuff but for the most part it's it's pretty similar the thing that really struck me is the insignia on the chest is exactly the same as the wrath of khan style one i love like i was paying close attention to that that was really cool yeah speaking of badges later we see them meeting with the commander of the station yeah. Oh, um, Hanson. I'm glad you're talking about this because this is earlier. This is before we see Pike in the yes. in the quarters and stuff. Uh, I want to talk about Commander Hanson for a minute because I was so thrilled to see this actor, Ali Hassan. 
<laughs> now, a lot of people probably don't know him. He's from Canada. They sh- they shoot the show in Canada. He is on a sitcom here that airs on the CBC called Run the Burbs. And this is a, a show. Andrew Fung is the lead. He's from a show called Kim's Convenience. And Ali Hassan plays Andrew Fung's father-in-law, basically, the father of his wife in the show. And as soon as he came on the screen, even when I, I was just watching the teaser, I still had to grab my laptop and run over to Nikki and say, Nikki, look who it is. And it, that was awesome. Uh, he also hosts a show on CBC Radio here in Canada called Laugh Out Loud. So I was so excited to see Ali Hassan. I know that's a little thing that's not going to mean a lot to very many people, but hey, yay. Canadian actors who I love showing up in Star Trek just makes me so thrilled. <laughs> That's great. But then he did have that different badge, too, mm-hmm. which was very TOS, because now we're seeing those different insignias on uniforms. Yeah, and it matches, of course, the badge that Commander Hansen wore in Balance of Terror, which was a sewn-on patch, because that's what was how it was in TOS. But here it's a separate badge. But that was cool to see, too. Yeah. And I also like there's different things throughout the episode that are just a little different. And I saw online someone pointed out, and then when I rewatched the episode, I noticed the monitors were that similar monitors you see on the desks of TOS. And I'm mm-hmm. like, hmm, how do those work in the future in this series, you know? I keep picturing, remember the episode of Discovery? I think it's the third episode, the first time we meet Stamets. And he's talking to the other engineer, the other the ship and his mm, face is yeah. kind of through it three dimensional. I like to picture that that's what happens on those monitors. Yeah. Except on the enterprise because Pike says no more holographic communications on the enterprise. That's his dictate there. He, he says no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then we also see the map of the neutral zone, which is very similar to what we've seen in the original series. I didn't look at a close up of that yet, but I mm-hmm. think I heard that they made a correction to it. About because in the original series it's Romulus and Remy, uh, R O M I I. Okay, is, which I always Rami. thought some people were like Rami. I always thought that was maybe Rom two. I don't know. Mm. I, I I'm not sure what the intention was there, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't look at it close up to know if that was still it's still read that way. I don't know. I read something online where it said that now it represents Romulus and Remus and that Rami's separate, like a third. I don't know. Well, that's, that's how it is in the Star Trek star charts that Larry Nemechek did years ago, but I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't pay close enough attention in, in this. Sorry. I meant to do that before. I meant to do that before we record because I read that somewhere. I was like, oh, I need to go back and look at that before we record the podcast. And then I was like, what was it I was going to do before we got the podcast? Oh, it was that. And I totally forgot until now. <laughs> so, but everybody look, you know, you might just see it. But I love how this episode focuses on Pike and his future, which we've touched on upon in some other episodes. And this whole notion of how number one has told him, you know, hey, you could probably still change the future. And he's still contemplating that. And he could save the lives of these cadets until we meet the commander's son, who is one of those cadets that will die. One of Mm -hmm. the two that will die in the future. And that really shakes him up. You know, it's like, what do I do? What do I do? And that's when we get to the scene in his quarters where he's 
dictating a letter to him about the future to help save him. And that's when future Pike shows up and is like, I think you th- should think twice about sending that letter. <laughs> yeah. Great cold open. Yeah. Ma'at is this young man who will perish. One of the, like you said, one of the two cadets and, and yeah, he's really focused on this idea that, you know, I can change the future. I can save myself, but I also want to make sure those kids are saved. Right. So, yeah. you know, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. Yes. Which I guess he can't do. Is what we learned in this episode. So, okay. So the big question I want to ask you, and again, assuming everybody's watched it, so we don't need to go through this scene by scene, but as soon as he touches the time crystal, which I love bringing that in from Boreth again, that was really cool. It takes us to this wedding on the Enterprise. As soon as I saw that wedding, I was like, this looks very familiar to me. Could this be like Balance of Terror? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Balance of Terror. Um, one of my absolute favorite episodes of the original series. And the even the the casting, the Angela Martin and uh, Lieutenant Tomlinson, they pretty good casting here, you know. Uh, I like that. And, and yeah, it was like, you were talking about since the days of old wooden sailing vessels. And I was like, oh man, I, they're not, are they, are they doing this? Because from the setup, you kind of understand that like by changing something, he's changed something fundamental in the future. And I'm like, oh, they could really go anywhere with that. Like, think about all the things the Enterprise has done, right? Under Kirk or whatever. Like, could it be V'ger? Could could that be it? Could it be the whale probe? It could, you know, who knows, right? Could it be Khan? It could be anything. And Balance of Terror was not at the top of my list. But it makes a lot of sense. And I love that they went there. That, like, this, this makes sense. Like... After watching this episode, my wife and I immediately went to Netflix and put on Balance of Terror and watched it. And they do stress in that episode that billions of lives rest on what this ship does next or fails to do. Like they do kind of drive that point home. And I love that this episode well, I'm jumping up, we'll get there, but it shows you, it really shows you what those lines mean and what the stakes in that episode really are. You pull on one little thread of history and what can all change, right? Yeah. That's so crazy. I started to rewatch balance of terror. I've seen that episode so many times. I was like, I don't need to really rewatch it again. But then after watching this strange new worlds episode twice, I was like, I really want to watch balance of terror just to see what you just said, how that really plays in to this episode and i think that's really cool that you know all these lives are at stake you know and i didn't finish watching it. i started watching i went to bed and i had to fall asleep uh, <laughs> not because i was tired just because it was getting late and i really needed to go to bed but um I'll, I'll tell you real quick what's interesting too is that the second time i watched this was with my wife and She's not familiar with Balance of Terror. Now, maybe mm-hmm. she's seen that episode before years ago and she doesn't remember it. But halfway through this, I finally paused it. And I said, do you know what's going on here? What they're playing off of? And she's like, no. And I had to tell her that, you know, this is mirroring that episode. And she still, I was trying to explain to her the episode. It wasn't hitting her. She was like, I don't know. But at the end of watching this, 
for someone who's never seen or doesn't remember seeing Balance of Terror, she loved this episode. Oh, that's awesome. And so it works even if you've never seen the TOS episode. I was kind of wondering about that because we have a group of friends who we haven't gotten together to watch Star Trek in a while, but one of them who we introduced to Star Trek, she had never watched Star Trek before and and started watching Discovery with us and then went and watched TNG and Deep Space Nine by herself. She's never seen the original series. And as of right now, she's caught up on Strange New Worlds in that she's seen the first nine episodes. The 10th episode, you know, doesn't come out until after we're done recording this someday in the couple days in the future here. But I'm really curious about her reaction when she sees it, because she's not even ever seen any original series other than maybe some clips here and there or, or some stuff that's entered the cultural zeitgeist, right? So that's really good to hear that your wife really enjoyed the episode. I'm really curious to get my friend's take on this as well. So the scene where they see the Romulans on the view screen for the first time, and then they do that zoom in shot on Spock and he raises his eyebrow. Mm-hmm. That's when I paused it. Cause my wife said, Oh, that's such classic Spock. And that's when I paused it. I'm like, do you know what's going on here? She goes, no, but that's just such classic Spock there. I'm like, well, that's a playoff classic Spock <laughs> from this episode. You know? Yeah. Not to mention the music, which there's been little flourishes all throughout the episode up until that point but that moment they just go full bore with a dun 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 <laughs> that was so good that was so uh, good i love how they work that music in throughout this episode or or music that sounds very similar at times and still being an original on its own it just gave you that feel and not only just the music but the lighting Mm-hmm. The lighting was very similar too. If you ever watch Balance of Terror, you'll notice there's this light that just kind of sh- that shines like on the eyes of Kirk's face, while the rest of his face is kind of shadowed. And they were doing that to Pike in this episode too. Mm-hmm. And a, a number of close-ups on or- on Ortegas, I noticed they used that effect to really good effect in this episode too. Ortegas? You mean Styles? Oh no, you mean Ortegas? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. <laughs> So, and then, you know, the Farragut is coming too. And I was like, and they're like, oh, that's Lon's ship. I was like, oh, she's captain of the Farragut. Kirk must be serving with her, maybe first officer or something. That's where my mind went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I heard Lon's ship, I thought, yeah, oh, she she's the captain of the ship. Okay. But no, that's not the way they go with that. That was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then we find out Captain Kirk is on. So let me ask this. Did you notice Paul Wesley, who plays Kirk in this, did you notice his name at the beginning of the episode is listed as one of the actors? I did, and I kind of wish I hadn't. <laughs> this this is something that we've run into a few times when, uh, you know, the episode of the first season of Picard, you know, they mentioned Jerry Ryan in the credits or, or Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis kind of thing. I kind of wish they hadn't done that or if they had, I hadn't noticed it because I was like, oh, we're getting Kirk in this episode. And I remember watching this with my wife. And like I said, I'd only watched the teaser and I stopped it before the credits. And um, we got to the opening credits and I saw uh guest starring Paul Wesley or whatever. And I went, oh, 
And Nikki went, what? And I went, nothing. <laughs> because I wanted at least to preserve that for her, even though it kind of got a little spoiled for me. But it, not a huge deal that it got spoiled. But I just kind of wish it was more of a surprise for me than it was. But not a huge deal. I don't remember what I did. I may have skipped through the opening there. Um, mm. Because as soon as I saw Pike in that uniform, I was like, I'm getting there, <laughs> you know? Nice, So I may yeah. have skipped by because I know I didn't notice it the first time. But then when the show ended and I was watching the end credits, I noticed that Paul Wesley's name wasn't there in the end credits. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and watched the opening credits and saw that it was there. I was like, oh, I'm glad I missed that because we knew he was going to play Kirk. But we were told that's season two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What well, still is true, he's going to be in season two. Yeah, it's it's like that old, uh, oh shoot, who's the the comedian? Uh, is it Mitch Hedberg, where he said like, I used to do a lot of drugs. I still do a lot of drugs, but I also used to. <laughs> so <laughs> right. you know, Kirk will be in season two. He'll also be in season one, but he's in season two as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Which I'm kind of glad we know that because after this episode, I would. I, I like to know that we're going to see him back. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want, I wouldn't want to see this episode and think, will we ever see Kirk again? Will we ever see this actor as Kirk again? I, I like to know that we're going to, and I, I'll kind of touch on the reason why a little later. So yeah. we keep saying a little later, cause I know there's so much we're talking about, but <laughs> it's like, there's something I want to say, but I don't want to say it quite yet until we have some further discussion. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is Uhura in this, in her uniform, mm-hmm. being very similar to TOS. Yeah, I liked that. That was a nice touch. Really good. And also the rank braids on the sleeves are now gold and prominent, right? So Uhura is a lieutenant. She's got the single rank braid, but then everyone else also has the gold ones as well, whereas for the rest of this season previously they were the kind of the same color as the uniform so they were kind of hard to see like spock had a blue lieutenant stripe but it was kind of hard to see on the blue uniform right but now everybody's got the the gold stripes i like that little change i almost to the point where i'm like hopefully they make that change for season two that would be really nice i think maybe they will because Mm. i was looking at a photo uh, behind the scenes or on the set, I should say, that someone took of Paul Wesley as Kirk and they're standing outside and he's with Laon. And I remember, I'm pretty sure they were the same braid sleeve, the gold. I'm not positive. Are you looking it up, Dan? I am because <laughs> as soon as you started talking, I, re- I realized, yeah, that's, uh, I've seen that picture and I'm I'm wondering that myself now. I'm looking it up too. We got to know. Uh, oh no, Lon still has the red stripes there. So oh, no, okay. no, they haven't made that change. Oh. Oh yeah, they are still red. Yep. Well, then I can't watch it. <laughs> no, but that's cool that you know, there's attention to details. I I like that how they're they're doing this. There was so much eye candy in this episode. Mm-hmm. First hardcore Star Trek fans, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing I want to say about Spock too is the the subtlety of how he changed his performance for this episode as well. He is so unemotional, so much like the Spock of Star Trek the original series. And you know, even putting aside the moments in the rest of the season where he's been very emotional, 
you know, where he's been unable to control himself, even just when he's kind of being neutral Spock, he's dialed that right down to like one, whereas before it was like a three or a four maybe. And it's subtle, but it's so well done. I love how he's approaching everything purely logically, right? There's no emotion involved. So when Pike says, hey, I'm from the past, I've come into the future, he's like, perhaps you are compromised and should be relieved of command. Because that's the first logical explanation, right? I, I Just little things like that. I love that. And then, of course, he's delivering so many lines that Leonard Nimoy delivered in the original Balance of Terror that him... I wouldn't even say mimicking that performance. He's still bringing his own version of Spock to that performance, but it's definitely that more unemotional Spock now. That's what I wondered because you're mimicking this episode from TOS. And so as an actor, I would think that he would not necessarily want to watch Leonard Nimoy's performance in this episode because he doesn't want to mimic it per se, but at the same time, because we're mimicking the episode and where Spock is at this time, I would think he would have to at least watch that just to get an idea of where to put his character. But try so hard not to just try to imitate what he does in this episode to a T, and but mm-hmm. also kind of make it his own. Which in some ways might be a little easy to do. Because there isn't emotion there, right? So yeah. it's not like, oh, well, Spock laughed and then burped at this point or whatever it is. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm not going to make that same choice. I mean, you just kind of have to have that stoic delivery, you know? Mm-hmm. But I did I did enjoy his performance for that reason. And I love how when uh, Pike finds out that he hears from Spock as, you know, this is number one. And he's like, uh, oh okay, it's Spock is my number one. Okay. <laughs> you know? So that was pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to bring up too, is I love the conversation that Pike has with Sam Kirk. Yeah. He wants to know about James Kirk. You know, what kind of guy is this? You know, he's your brother. What can we expect from him? And he's like, well, you know, he's got charm and, and looks and good luck with him and all these things. And, he says that, you know, he doesn't like to lose and he bends the rules and and he can be a pain in the ass, you know. But I liked having that scene because we really don't get much in any Star Trek what the relationship is between these two brothers. And that was the one thing I was a little disappointed with in this episode is we didn't have the moment between the two brothers, like a really good scene to see how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of the one hug reunion, I guess. Yeah. It's funny because what was going through my mind in that scene was kind of something else, which is the butterfly effect of changes in the timeline and stuff, because Sam Kirk is still in Starfleet at this moment. Then when in the original timeline, in the prime timeline, as Spock actually says in this episode, Sam Kirk would have probably been out of Starfleet by this point and living on Deneva where he, you know, is going to die thanks to the neural parasites and stuff. So I'm like, okay, the change, the major change here is that Pike didn't have that accident and and yada, yada, yada. I wonder if like, that's what makes Sam Kirk leave Starfleet 
if his mentor, his captain has been, you know, gone through this horrific event and it, that makes him leave Starfleet, or maybe it's something completely different that just is just some random little eddy of how this timeline unfolded that all that stuff has me just kind of like, Hmm, I wonder how and when that happens. <laughs> That's funny. Cause I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, maybe it's, Oh, my brother's coming on the enterprise as captain. I'm not going to be here. Forget it. I cannot serve with my brother <laughs> and he leaves. Right. I that mean, could maybe be. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or anything. maybe, maybe he stays on the enterprise for like a mission or two and is like, I can't stand this and I leave now. I don't know. Yeah. I never thought of that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe Kirk says, Hey Sam, uh, I need to talk to you for a moment. So I'm changing your assignments. You're now a red shirt. Forget it. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm I, not going to die here. <laughs> I get zapped by random things that I touch on away team missions all the time already. I'm not going to put on a red shirt. That's tempting fate. <laughs> <laughs> or Jim's like, if you want to serve on my ship, you have to shave that mustache. And Sam's like, I'm out of here. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> so going back to Balance of Terror, I'm going to keep bringing this up all the time. Again, my wife hadn't seen this episode, but she you know, at the beginning of this Strange New Worlds episode, it's mentioned that, you know, something of what Pike has done that kind of changes the future leads to this these disastrous events. And as soon as Kirk and the crew are saying, we should attack, we should attack, and Pike's like, eh, I don't know, let's try to talk. My wife said out loud, he should attack. I bet that's the problem. And then she said to me, did Kirk attack? I bet he attacked, didn't he? Did he attack in that episode? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she saw it right away. But you know, what, was there too much reference to that episode? I mean, was it because so many lines were very similar to it. Or did that work for you? I think personally that really worked for me. I loved how this episode did it, where at the start, it's very close. Like it's, it's everything's happening as it did before, which makes sense because, you know, they're both Starfleet captains. They're both encountering this situation and it's just very subtle as it goes. They just start to drift a little bit further away from one another. Right. Which is, I think how it would happen. You know, there's a critical moment where, Oh, now this is different. Oh, now this is different. Now that's compounding upon itself. Right. Like watching Balance of Terror right after this episode, the moment, and Kirk even calls it out, the moment they pass through the comet's tail and they see nothing, Kirk realizes immediately what's happened and says, hard about, evasive maneuvers, lay down fire. And Pike hesitates. Pike is trying to figure out what's going on. He's analyzing things. And that's the moment where the Romulans take the advantage and the tables start to turn. And I love that. It's subtle and it just, that's when it starts to diverge wildly at that point. Yeah, I agree. I, it, it worked for me. I was a little concerned watching this and I have not read anybody's feedback yet. So I have no idea what people think of this episode, but I kept thinking, are people going to complain? Oh, uh, well, of course people are going to complain. There's always somebody complaining, but I thought, are people going to have a problem with this echoing that episode too much? Is it going to say, Oh, they could have done something creative and original instead of just redoing balance of terror. 
I'm sure there's people who are going to complain about that. But the point of this is we get to see, we know how things play out. Mm-hmm. But if Pike lives on, now we're seeing what could have happened or what would happen if Pike lived, if Pike didn't get into that accident that put him in, in, in that chair. And I think that's fun, you know, yeah. especially when you know that episode. And like I said, and my wife not seeing that episode, this really worked for her too. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's the whole point of the episode is the dramatic irony of it. The fact that we do know this outcome, but the characters we're watching don't. And that's what the episode hinges on. And I think it works brilliantly on that level because you know, as much as he doesn't want to, he and Spock come to the conclusion that they have to go forward as though like he would do because they need to find out what it is that's different and how that bad future comes about. But he wouldn't be able to help second guessing every little thing or trying to figure out like, is this what it is? Is that what it is? And at one point I love when he's kind of ruminating, he thinks, you know, if I wasn't here Kirk would be flying off the handle in this wild person. And maybe that would immediately start a war, you know, or something like that. So he's trying to guess, trying to figure out little things, but like, no, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. We know what the answer is, but you know, the characters don't. And like you said, even if you don't know what the answer is, you can kind of figure it out by, you know, if you know, as a viewer, at least that Kirk is the captain at this point, not Pike. And so we have Kirk here on screen telling us what he would probably do. So you can kind of figure it out that way. I like how Pike questions, like maybe he's there to prevent Kirk from starting a war when he's the one who actually starts it himself. You know, this, this badass pain in the butt kind of captain that he's told about who likes to bend the rules. He's probably a disaster. And, and so Pike needs to rein him in, but it's the opposite. It's because of who Kirk is, is what prevents the war, you know, Mm -hmm. which I don't know what kind of message that is. You know, it's better to attack than it is to try to arrange peace through talks. You know, it struck me as very similar to, the city on the edge of forever, believe it or not, of all things, right? Edith Keeler is a pacifist calling for peace, but she does it at the wrong time, which allows the Germans to accelerate their program and take over the world, right? Yes. And as Spock says, Spock and Kirk in that episode say she had the right idea. It was just at the wrong time. And this struck me as very similar. You know, you're changing, not history, I guess you're changing the future, but by holding yourself back in that moment. It was just the bad timing of it. Spock was Spock's always right. You got to listen to Spock. Right. And he said in this episode and that episode, we must attack. If these Romulans are descendants of my Vulcan blood, they will most certainly be trying to find weakness and we must not let them exploit that. It reminds me of discovery. You know, with Burnham and Georgia at the very beginning of the series. I was going to bring this up too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How she's like, we have to attack, you know, because Sarek's telling her that that's the way to go too. And she's like, we need to attack the Klingons. That's the only way they're going to respect us to avoid war. We have to show strength. And Georgia's like, no, we're going to talk peace with them. But really, 
I mean, this episode, that episode of Discovery, always something I wanted to discuss more in detail because I don't really see how what Burnham did led to war, but she always seems to be accused of it. I mean, it's not her actions. It's the actions of George. I mean, yeah, she did mutiny. That's where she was wrong. Mm -hmm. But we saw it led to war by not attacking. Yeah, absolutely. I had that thought in my mind as well throughout this episode, or actually I'd say the second time I watched it through, I was like, they need to give them a Vulcan hello. Because I remember when that episode came out, people were like, the Vulcans wouldn't do that. That's not how the Vulcans operate. And a lot of people pointed at Balance of Terror and said, no, Spock gave this exact advice to Kirk. And now we're seeing that situation play out here. So, you know, who else would you give a Vulcan hello to other than the Romulans, right? The the proto-Vulcans who have this martial streak to them. They haven't embraced logic. They're aggressive. And so, yeah, this is the start of the of the Federation Romulan War of 2266 in this alternate timeline, just like the Federation Klingon War started in Discovery. I, it's, the parallels are right there to, to be found for sure. Why do they always think Burnham started the war, though? Oh, that always bugs me. Yeah, I, I I think it's like, I don't know, because, yeah, the point of the episode is she didn't, right? Like, if they'd have followed her advice and done what she'd wanted, maybe there still would have been a war, but, you know, that would have been a more correct response to what happened. It was, the war was going to start no matter what. Takuvma wanted to start that war to rally his followers. That was the whole point of that. So yeah, it was definitely not anything Burnham did that started it. I guess the perception is because she uh, took down the captain and mutiny that, that led to this results. If she had let George, I don't know. That's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Um, And the killing of the Klingon on the, on the surface of the light of Kalos at the very beginning some people say that's what started the war. It's like, no, Takufma wanted to start it regardless. So, (laughs) well, we're not here to talk about discovery, but I just wanted to touch on that real quick. (laughs) But I think it's cool that you thought that too, about that episode. And I love how you're saying, you know, people were pointing to balance of terror. Like, no, Spock said the same thing. You've got to attack. It's about logic, right? It's not about, uh Oh, you know, what is, what is the, the kind thing to do, even though Vulcans for the most part seem like they're going to be kind in the way they handle things. But sometimes logic says in order to prevent something from happening, maybe you have to use violence, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, but you know, on a lighter note, we got to see Scotty in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We, we got to see his hand. And hear his voice. That was cool. And I would love to know who is voicing Scotty here because that is really darn good. Like that is really close to James Doohan's version of Scotty. That was really well done. I don't remember his son's name, but I wonder if it was his son because he's appeared in a lot of fan films and of course the Kelvin movies. Yeah, Chris Doohan. Yeah, it could be. It'd be interesting to find that out. Yeah, the only thing I didn't like was seeing his his hand, his arm come up like that. Oh, I love that. Little, I just thought <laughs> it looked a little funny. I was like, eh, I like the voice, but that looked a little funny to me. But my wife loved it. She goes, it's Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I thought that was wonderful. 
But then we also get to see the Romulan commander and his crew, which, of course, it's not Mark Leonard, but, you know, and then they have their own Romulan look, you know, a little different in everything. But I, I really like that actor who played the commander in this. Can I carve out a part of this episode to absolutely rave about him? Like in an episode with all of these elements coming together, that's just a visual feast and, and a treat to watch. My favorite thing about the episode was the Romulan commander. He was so, he nailed Mark Leonard's way of speaking and this character so well. The writers of this episode got that character, I think, honestly. Uh, Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman. And I try not to be negative on Positively Trek, but there'll be very few times that I heap a lot of praise onto Akiva Goldsman. So take this while you can. The writing of this was top notch. And then getting this guy, and I had to look him up, Matthew McFadzian. I'm not sure if that's how to pronounce his name, but he's the guy that played the Romulan commander. So perfect. There was the delivery of some of the lines, and I'm not even talking about lines that Mark Leonard delivered in Balance of Terror that he is now doing his own version of. Original dialogue in this episode, I could just totally hear and see Mark Leonard's version of that character delivering those lines. It was so good. I, I can't praise that enough. Just like you could talk to Nikki as we watched this episode, every time he was on screen, I was like, Oh, he is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling the same way. Not as, as enthusiastic as you've been about it, but I really did think he was great. I mean, he just, like you said, he nailed it. He just, he just seemed like he was the commander. It was like, it felt, it wasn't like he, he was Mark Leonard, but he just had that same feel. Like he understood the character. And like you said, the writing, I think really helps with that. And then just hearing how he's debating with his sub commander mm -hmm. and how sub commanders just once, you know, we just got to attack. We just got to, I mean, it's almost the same thing we're seeing on the bridge of the enterprise where everybody's saying attack, attack. And Pike's like, no. And now we're seeing the sub commander saying attack, attack. And the commander's like, no, we need to talk or let's use this brief moment to just kind of, you know, we, the, the point was he, he just wants to get home. And he, and he said about his sub commander's father and he saw what his father did. And when they served together and, instead of trying to go back home and so, yeah, it's just like that whole thing played out really well. And, and the fact that his sub commander turned on him and called the fleet, I thought was really good. Cause that really sets up now how we're going to hit a Romulan war. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. It was, I, I was really impressed by all of the subtleties of the performance and yeah, like you say, the, interplay of the personalities on the Romulan bridge kind of mirroring the enterprise bridge. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but that's wonderful. And, uh, can I just also say these, these Romulan uniforms are so gorgeous. Like the second time watching, like I was noticing all this stuff the first time, but the second time I was just really paying attention to all of the details and stuff. And somebody's going to attempt to do that in cosplay. And I can't wait to see it because the, these are gorgeous. They're like the original series had like the red sash on the side. And this one has more like a metallic kind of piece of hardware going down the yeah. side that just mm -hmm. looked incredible. I love these. 
<laughs> yeah, and we're also seeing more diversity on the ship too you know not mm-hmm. everybody's the same color and stuff which we see a lot in this series just even on the starfleet ships and such but uh you know romulans come in all shades and colors and sizes and whatever and women and men and stuff so we're seeing that diversity on the romulan ship too so i really appreciated that and then at the same time you know as this fleet comes and the praetor is there and all that stuff Kirk is off in a shuttle somewhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? He's like, ah, oh, can I borrow a shuttle? And off he goes somewhere. It's like, okay. And then he comes back with, like, these mining ships and stuff to go against them. You know, just look like we have numbers, even though these aren't attack ships. But the Romulans don't know what these ships are. They might think that these are, you know, military vessels that are going to attack. I thought that was a pretty cool scene. Yeah, it was a good bluff. You know, it's a, it's a typical Kirk thing, right? Like the Corbomite maneuver or the cheating on the Kobayashi Maru, you know, he's, he's finding a way to, to cheat the system, to, to do this elaborate bluff. I like that. That was very Kirk-esque. Yes. So we were talking about the Romulan commander's performance. So I do want to touch on Paul Wesley. What do you think of him as Kirk? Okay. Um, (laughs) To me, and I, I mean, no disrespect, but it did take a bit to get used to his performance as Kirk. And the second time around, I do have to say, I enjoyed it a lot more than the first time, but, and again, I'm not trying to be rude by the end of the episode. I'm on board with him as Kirk. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I I'm kind of feeling this. I'm kind of liking it when he first shows up though. And he's in the chair and he does the eyebrow thing and kind of talks like this. <laughs> try oh my god okay this is so bad but if you've ever seen jim carrey doing an impression of kirk on in living color this felt just at the very beginning just for a few seconds a little bit like that and it's it just watch just those like few seconds of him as kirk and it really feels like that now granted again like i said i got more used to it and i got into him as kirk but uh, yeah, he, he definitely makes the role his own. He's not imitating William Shatner. He's not trying to do that version of Kirk. He's making the role his own. And I'm into it by the end of the episode. But it did take a little getting used to, I have to admit. And uh, I'm sorry, Paul Wesley. I love what you did. It just It just took me a minute. That's all. You know, it's so great to come on here and talk to you because (laughs) I never know sometimes what you're thinking, you know, and then it usually turns out that we think the same and I had the exact same thoughts, (laughs) exact same thoughts. I went to In Living Color, Jim Carrey, especially when he was sitting in the chair, his movements. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Jim Carrey. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say I thought I was alone on that. (laughs) I thought the same way because even his build is skinnier than William Shatner's or something like his build looks like, uh, like more like Jim Carrey's from that, that, uh, scene from in living color and that sketch. And, and I couldn't get it out of my head, even to the point when the picture we were talking about earlier from season two, where we see him and La'an outside, when I went back and was looking at, I was trying to look at pictures of him. And I got to that picture. I was like, oh, see, here's from In Living Color. I'm like, oh, no, wait, that is Paul Wesley. <laughs> I thought it Oops. was Jim Carrey. <laughs> and I swear, it's like when I look at him, I think he looks like a cross between Jim Carrey and Justin Bieber. Hmm. 
like if Justin Bieber and Jim Carrey had a baby, it would be Paul Wesley. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't notice that. I will say, like especially watching balance of terror right after this episode, like physically they're not him and William Shatner aren't really alike. Like there's a lot of differences, you know, Shatner is a lot fairer hair color wise and, and different build and all that kind of thing. Um, attitude wise and, and acting wise, I think by the end, like I said, I'm like, okay, I, I buy him as Kirk. I'm, I'm getting more on board and I'm sure the more I see of him as Kirk, the more I'll start to kind of, accept him more as Kirk. But the end, Pike, like after all is said and done, Pike's back to his regular time. He's looking at Kirk's personnel record. And I don't know what they did with the photo of Kirk there, (laughs) but he looks a lot more like Shatner Kirk there. Like his hair seems lighter or something. Like, I don't know. And actually, to be fair, the picture of Paul Wesley as Kirk on the personnel record actually kind of trends a bit towards Chris Pine territory, which I thought was interesting. I was like, oh, it kind of, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. was different there, but his hair looked a lot lighter. And he kind of, <laughs> maybe they just like t- retouched the photo a bit or something, but he looked very, more William Shatner, but more Chris Pine-ish. Yeah, I I, I hate saying this stuff. I mean, I, I'm not saying, I, look, I'm not familiar with Paul Wesley as an actor. Mm-hmm. I've never watched his other stuff. I. I mean, and I'm not saying he's a bad actor at all. He just wasn't working for me as Kirk. He just, and look, I'm not looking for someone to act just like Shatner or even how Chris Pine, you know, I, it doesn't have to be quite that. And I'll tell you the problem I have. And I don't even care if he even looks like he could come on there with jet black hair or red hair or whatever, and I could buy it. So, and you know, we're, we're teasing about how he looks. He reminds us of Jim Carrey. I don't care if he looked exactly like Jim Carrey. My point is that, like we were talking about earlier about the Romulan commander, right away it's this, oh my gosh, he just feels like he's the Romulan commander, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when I first saw Anson Mount as Pike, I was like, he feels like Pat Pike. Yeah. When I saw, um, and I can't remember her name, who plays Uhura now. Celia Rose Gooding, yeah. When I saw her, I was like, she doesn't quite look like Nichelle Nichols, but she she feels like Uhura. I did not feel that way with Paul Wesley. I did not think, but he feels like Kirk. Like he's making Kirk is it, but he feels like Kirk to me. And I'm willing to give him a chance. That's why I'm glad we're getting him back in season two, Mm -hmm. because I want to see more of him. I feel like we didn't give him a lot of range to play with this because in balance of terror, it's a serious moment. Kirk is just, being serious throughout the whole episode. So Paul Wesley's being kind of serious through this episode and you're not getting a whole lot of range and some light scenes and some other, I mean, he does have a talk with Pike, but he just felt a little too stiff and maybe he was nervous. Maybe he was a little like, I'm not comfortable yet because Hey, that's a huge label to put on someone. You're mm-hmm. the new Kirk. You know, it's Absolutely. one thing to say you're the new Romulan commander. Okay, <laughs> never even had a name. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. So you know, I'm not like totally like like just writing him off at all. And mm-hmm. and like you said, the second time around, I'm kind of getting used to him. But it's I've been always impressed with the casting on these new Star Trek shows, and I'm a little disappointed in this one, but the jury's still out. I want to see him in some future episodes. Yeah. The other thing that just kind of occurred to me, too, is he's he's not 
the antagonist of the episode by any stretch, but he is kind of butting heads with our hero a little bit. So I'm thinking there might be for, for me anyway, when I'm watching it, maybe a little bit of resistance to him because, you know, he's against our hero and, and what he's trying to do and stuff. So for me, I'm kind of already putting him in the column of, Hey, why you got to come up in here and be a jerk kind of thing. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of that, but also, like I said, the first time through, I did have a hard time with him. Uh, second time through, I got on board a lot faster, I noticed, uh, than the first time. And I'm sure it'll only get better from there as well. And I'm I'm also thinking, like, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. There's a reason they cast this guy as well. Like, I'm sure there's going to be a Kirk moment coming up in season two where we're like, aha, that's it. There, There's why this guy was cast. And like I said, like the casting and, and stuff, they haven't let me down yet. So I'm definitely willing to give the benefit of the doubt long-term to this decision. Absolutely. Same here. And I, I thought the same thing. I thought, again, I feel like they've done an excellent job with casting and to cast Kirk. I can't imagine they just went with whoever, <laughs> you know, mm. like they, they've seen something in him that we haven't seen yet. And I don't know if this episode gave him that opportunity that's kind of what I was saying earlier. It's just like, I don't feel like we were giving that aha moment or that range to have him really be the commander and the friend to Spock and to McCoy and really see that, that range in him yet. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Jury's still out. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how he does, but you're right. They saw something in him. They, mm-hmm. They've done a really great job up to this point. So Yeah. But and maybe it's just, again, maybe just getting used to them, too. So that has something to do with it. But, you know, when I saw Star Trek 09, I immediately bought into Chris Pine immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, well, maybe not like immediately, immediately, but very quickly. (laughs) He was Kirk. Yeah. But I love how Paul Wesley got to meet William Shatner on the plane. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's a neat story. Yeah. (laughs) So other thing I want to bring up before I forget the picture of Pike and April. Oh, I'm in so glad. Uniforms. I didn't notice it the first time, but the second time I was like, wait. <gasps> and I had to pause and I, I can even show you, I have it written in my notes here. Um, so yeah, sorry, go ahead because this is really cool. And I'm wondering how many people are going to notice this. Yeah. Because we never saw those classic uniforms like we saw in the cage and where no man has gone before in these new series. And here's this photo of April and Pike, and you got to assume, okay, well, that was a long time ago. And so they were in those uniforms at some point. That was cool. And they were like, yeah, so they had like the ribbed collar, just like the other one, the old ones, no black anything there. And they were, they looked like they were made of like velour or whatever, right? Like that, that kind of sheeny material that, that those original ones were made of. That was so cool. And I'm assuming that's like when April was captain and Pike was first officer. Cause I noticed he's got like commander stripes on. Right. So that was really neat. I, I was like, I, I couldn't believe I didn't notice that the first time. And the second time you should have seen me. Like it was a big gasp. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to be able to take screen caps of that and really get a look at that. 
I want to see them in those uniforms again, you know, because if you take everything visually from what we've seen, again, we see at the beginning of Kirk's five-year mission, they're in those uniforms. I like to think that these are like alternate uniforms that they switch to every once in a while for some reason, you know, I, I don't know what the reason would be. I saw someone say online, like, oh, maybe those are dress uniforms. But those aren't dress uniforms, no. <laughs> you know, but maybe they're like some kind of field duty uniforms that they occasionally get into for some reason. Or, yeah, because we've seen a lot of diversity in uniforms, you know, all uniforms don't look alike. You know, everybody's got even like Una's uniform, even like I was thinking this episode when we saw Una, which is a good time to talk about Una, too. When she gets on the transporter pad, I was like, you know, her uniform reminds me of that uniform Troy wore in Encounter at Farpoint. It's got the color on the front and the black sides. And it's got like a, almost a, like a skirt to it. Yeah. It's very similar to that. Yeah. Well, I, it just occurs to me we did see those cage style uniforms once before in New Star Trek. Sort of. And Oh, wait. Can I guess? Yeah. Go for it. Is it Lower Decks? No, well, maybe, but I, I didn't think of that. Because we saw Gary Mitchell, an image of him on a screen. Oh, we did. See, I guess, yeah, I think he was maybe wearing that in that image. Yeah, yeah I, think, I so. think so. Yeah. But also the Star Trek Discovery episode, if memory serves, with the previously on Star Trek flashbacks to the cage. They had footage from the cage. So it's like, true. oh. Maybe they're saying that's what they were wearing at the time of the cage and before. And, but this is like the first time we see them on our actors playing these characters. That was, I want to see pictures from that photo shoot now, unless it was all done in Photoshop, which is possible. But if that was an actual photo shoot, please, please, please. Can we see more photos? (laughs) (laughs) I also like to think, uh, what was it called? The trouble of Edward, the uh, short track. Mm, Yeah. Tribbles. They didn't have colored uh, collars on their uniforms. Some of them didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered if that was supposed to try to be a callback to that. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But I don't know. Anyway, we're geeking out about clothes. This is so great. This is the, this is what Star Trek fans do. I'm I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you know I mentioned Una, and we'll touch on her in just a moment. But I guess I should mention how this episode ends. I mean, uh, Pike learns the lesson that really in every timeline, every time the path has changed, Spock uh, dies. Um, and Spock has a big role in saving the universe in, in many different ways. And when we see Spock in sickbay earlier to the scene, um, my wife called it right away. She goes, oh, I bet Spock's dead. You know, Spock did the unification and all this. I'm like, I know what Spock did, hon. <laughs> <laughs> but, he does uh, so many things. <laughs> he does so many things. He's and... got things to do, as Pike tells Pike. Yeah. And seeing him there, and they said, he'll even if he lives, he'll never be the same. My wife said exactly the same thing I thought. It's like, he's he's Pike, you know? What happens to him, like, what would have happened to Pike has now happened to Spock, you know? Mm-hmm. So what happened to Pike in the original timeline, he'll never be the same. And so he realizes he has to let that play out. Do you know what is so heartbreaking about this episode when it comes to Pike and what I realized after watching this is this is Pike discovering that he's not the main character. 
He's not the main character that has to do all these things in the future. That's Spock, you know? And I think the the older Pike says kind of something similar to Pike, that we think we're so important, and we are, in our own lives and in our own story, but maybe not in the role that we think we are. And saving himself dooms the galaxy because Spock is lost and Spock is the key to so much. And if you think about Star Trek, Spock really is the key to so much. Like he, ah, I mean, like it was Spock's advice in balance of terror that makes Kirk attack. Potentially it was Spock that figured out V'ger. It was Spock that figured out that the whale probe was, you know what I mean? And like you said, he, is responsible for the reunification of the Vulcans and Romulans, which will have effects for thousands of years to come that we see in Star Trek Discovery. So it's such a huge thing that if Spock is not there to do that, everything unravels. Universe-ending stuff, as Pike says, right? So ah, that that to me is heartbreaking, that like, I'm not the main character. (laughs) Oh, it's that guy? Okay. (laughs) And as you're talking through that, and before you really start talking through that, and I started thinking about the Kelvin Timeline movies. I was like, oh, well, how does Pike affect that if in every timeline, if Pike survives, then Spock dies in every timeline. And then I realized, oh, what? Pike does die in the Kelvin Timeline. So things can play out correctly with the Romulans, even in that timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's I'm trying cool. to remember the Star Trek ongoing comics started to mirror a lot of the TOS episodes early in its run. I can't remember. I don't think they did a balance of terror one. I don't, I don't think recall. so. No, not that, that I remember if they did. Yeah. I don't remember that one. Somebody can wanna... correct us if they did. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't, I don't recall it myself. Yeah, I don't either. So, Speaking of Kelvin timeline, though, we do get a very minor shout out to the actual USS Kelvin, too, where Kirk is telling Pike his history. He says, well, my father was first officer of the USS Kelvin until... And then it trails off. That That was so (laughs) great. I love that, too. Yes, that was so great. I loved that part. I, I actually was just going to bring that up when we were starting talking about the Calvin stuff there at the end. That was that was perfect. Man. Mm. So, Una, she gets arrested. And she's been prepared that this is going to happen. But you can tell, like, I really noticed it the second time watching this when she's on the bridge and they said that, you know, Pike's girlfriend captain i can't remember her name captain patel uh, of the uss Kai- cayuga okay so captain patel's coming and she's like hey you know they're like she needs to see you and number one in the transporter room and you can tell una's like she knows what's coming this is mm-hmm. it this is it you know and i love how pike even grabs hold of the arm of that security officer <laughs> yeah and and that moment right where una's like chris no like, don't do this. Don't destroy your career because of this. That was, that moment was just so, and then he's holding him and then let's go. Like that could have gone so many different ways there. Oh, what a great moment. And he knows what 
her future is at least in another timeline because he had learned that she had been in prison for seven years up to that point. Mm-hmm. And so he's got to be thinking, oh, gosh, wait, you know, if they arrest her and, and she's thrown in prison, she'll be there for years to come because he saw that in the alternate timeline. He's going to try to prevent that from happening. And yeah. so I'm curious to see how that's kind of a cliffhanger of season one. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely interested to see where that goes for sure. We know of course that Una told Chris about this earlier as well. Chris Pike discovered that about Una way back in episode three, I guess of the yeah, season. So, yeah, interesting to see what will what will come of this. I'm assuming Pike's going to really go to bat for her. But it's interesting that he didn't, or at least wasn't successful the first time around. So, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. The, by the first time around, I mean in this alternate timeline that we've seen in this episode. So, yeah, I don't know. I wonder how that's going to play out or if, and if that's going to come into play, if he's going to be like, Hmm, what would I have done? And obviously it didn't work. So what should I do differently? Even not knowing what I did the first time. <laughs> that's a good point that I can see that coming up in the novel. What happened in that alternate timeline hmm, Yeah, where he couldn't help number one. So hmm. a lot of good stuff in here. You know? Yeah. And and we we didn't really talk about Ortegas, but uh Yeah, well let's talk about Ortegas, yes. Yeah, she kind of had the Styles role, like we kind of mentioned earlier. So Styles in the original Balance of Terror was very prejudiced against Spock, especially once they found out that the Romulans looked like the Vulcans. And Ortegas kind of had that role where um she was pushing for them to attack the Romulans even to the point of Pike having to yell her down, which that was a bit of a like gasp moment to me where she kept kind of pushing it and he yells, stand down, Lieutenant. You know, it's just like, whoa, great moment. And I loved her portrayal in this episode. I also like that it didn't go as far as Styles did. It was basically like, she's kind of suspicious of Spock. And then Spock says, we need to attack the Romulans. And she's like, Oh, well, if Spock and I agree, then we're good. <laughs> yeah, I was a little worried there that they'll take her too far because yeah. that's not her character, right? So just just enough to give you the echoes of Styles, but not going as far as Styles, you know, because she's not that character. Yeah, I do love that she has this edge to her, though, that we haven't really seen before. So I wonder if that'll inform the character going forward here as well, if she'll just have that little bit of an edge where she's kind of not afraid to push for, you know, and also styles was so prejudiced against the Romulans because of his family history. So that had me wondering, like, I wonder if Ortegas has some kind of family history with the Romulans. And I'm assuming we won't be able to explore that very much in the series going forward because we're not supposed to see the Romulans till, you know, whatever. But I wonder if that'll come up somehow in the future. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, she was sitting in style seat. She switched seats with Mitchell. Mm-hmm. What is that console called that they sit at? Uh, well, she was at the navigation station, and Mitchell was now at the helms at the helm station. Right, but that whole station, I don't know what that whole console is like, but what, what I was going to say is how Pike walked around it with his hand. 
yeah. on it, like just like Kirk does. And gave a little it. tap kind of yes. that I totally picked up on that as well. That in the Balance of Terror, it was to like get Styles' attention to get him to pay attention and stop glaring at Spock. But there was just definitely a little just tap there that like was very reminiscent of that. I love that. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about Uhura. She's got the earrings too. The little mm-hmm. green earrings. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about all these little callbacks and stuff. I know we're forgetting something. Well, one I can mention that we didn't mention is Chapel wearing blue. Mm-hmm. She's in her blue uniform. Yeah. So one thing I also wanted to bring up, and I, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people complaining about this one and saying they got it wrong. And at first I was kind of like, huh. But I, I, I looked it up. I did a little bit of research. The USS Farragut. Now, in sources outside of the show and stuff, it's always been portrayed as another of the Constitution-class starships, right? It's been a counterpart of the Enterprise. And here we see it's not. It's a different class of ship. And I know there's going to be people complaining about that and saying that's not right and stuff. But if you look only at canon sources, so canon is what's portrayed on screen in films or television. We've never seen what class of ship the Farragut is, and they've never mentioned it. So it's shown up in a bunch of comics as a Constitution-class ship, and even in the Star Trek Encyclopedia by Mike and Denise Okuda as a Constitution-class ship. But that's never been on a show. So... As much as I would have liked them to make it a Constitution class ship as well, I think they're free to make that change, or not even a change, to establish it as a ship that isn't of the Constitution class. And then the other thing I was thinking, even though this is an alternate timeline, uh, more so than this episode is, in Star Trek 09, Uhura gets bent out of shape because she's been assigned to the Farragut and not the Enterprise. And if they were the same class ship, I would think she'd be like less bent out of shape. But she does seem to say to Spock that like the Farragut is a lesser ship. I want to be on the Enterprise. So maybe there's a little bit of precedent there that at least in an alternate timeline, the Farragut isn't as grand a ship as the Enterprise. And also, I think they wanted to give Jim Kirk the the lesser position in this episode by giving him a less powerful ship, I guess. It seems like you've spent some time thinking about this. <laughs> As I've said elsewhere in the episode, it's what Star Trek nerds do. It's what we do. But I just want to go on record as saying, like, if the fan people out there start saying they made a mistake and they got it wrong. No, they didn't. They just established something that's never been established in canon before. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like people get bent out of shape on stuff like that. But to your point, we've never seen the ship. So it's like, you don't know what the ship was like. And it works so well with what you said about Star Trek 09. You know, it's maybe a lesser ship than the Constitution class and the Enterprise is. And it's like, so that's why Hura doesn't want to be on that ship. She wants on the big badass ship, you know, the Enterprise. I mean, just, you know, take a moment and make it work. Mm -hmm. It works. Everything you just said works. Yeah, I certainly think so. (laughs) So, uh, gosh, again, I don't know if there's anything else we need to discuss, but look, look at your notes. Is there anything that we've missed that we need to bring up? I'm looking at my notes. I, I think we've covered everything. I did, um, uh, 
write in my notes just as a quick mention of how dang smart and perceptive Spock is where Pike's like, oh, it turns out I can't change things because, you know, I need to save someone else. And Spock is like, I see. Is that why you asked if I'm okay? <laughs> and Pike's like, <laughs> uh, well, maybe. And Spock's like, I feel like I owe you a debt of gratitude. For what? I'm not certain. But like Spock is just so dang perceptive. He just figures that all out just he on is. the basis of like two or three words. I love it. And I just love how they had the mind meld in the alternate timeline and Spock sees Pike's future and he just is like, oh, okay, well, you know, that was some while back, you know, six months ago and nobody died or no one got injured and this is what we're going to do and this is the situation. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you know, he's just, he's Vulcan. (laughs) Yeah. He's not like, wow. Like I expected him to have a reaction after that and he really didn't. Yeah, and I kind of love that because, again, that's just where his character is. And now, like, kind of like we said in last week's episode, I'm even more curious now to find out what it is that makes Spock decide to be that way, to go full Vulcan and reject all emotion. I'm I'm really curious to see what that inciting incident is. I hope they get to that because I don't think they've been given a commitment of seasons yet. So they need to work it in maybe a little early just in case you know i don't know we'll see yeah oh the other thing i have in my notes is another change from the original timeline is uh angela martin and lieutenant tomlinson in the balance of terror it was tomlinson that died at the end but in this one it's angela martin oh gosh yes which i just oh that was interesting hmm so yeah, I hadn't even what about ripple that. effects would that have now? <laughs> yes. And those same characters were in Star Trek Beyond. They were captured and killed uh, by... Oh, by Crawl. Yeah, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, by Yeah. I mean, they're never mentioned by name, but they say... I don't think they're mentioned by name, but I remember yeah. reading that uh, two officers that he had captured and killed were, were that couple. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, final thoughts... Incredible episode. Really well done. I can't, I mean, I I don't know what to share other than what we've already said, because I think we've been pretty thorough. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was extremely well put together. Great way to end the season and a great way to kind of redirect Pike's journey, I guess. I, I kind of feel bad for Pike because it's inevitable now. But he also now has been given a reason for his sacrifice, if that makes sense. And also, I also had the thought that this final scene between Pike and Spock just further cements why Spock is willing to risk his career and even his life to save Pike and bring him to Talos IV in the two-part episode, The Menagerie. That relationship they have Spock now knows that Pike is going to sacrifice his quality of life for him, or at least suspects that's the reason. So he must feel this incredible amount of debt to Pike, which just puts more in that column for why he does what he does in TOS. So I love that kind of, kind of squaring that bit of a plot device there. I I thought that was really, really well done. So, I mean, I have to give this episode 
10 out of 10 horses named Sir Nasalot. Uh, great episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a great episode. I have to tell you that initially watching it, I don't think I would grade it as high as I would now because there was the playoff of terror, balance of terror worked for me. Kirk didn't work for me as much. And I think there was just so much I was taking in at the moment that watching it again, I was really appreciating all the work and all the little Easter eggs and all the things we've discussed throughout this. And, and I remember getting to the end of this episode for the first time and thinking a lot about how they address everything you just said with Pike and what he has to deal with going forward. And he got rid of that message he was dictating to Moat, you know, and that he needs to let things play out. And so, yeah, I mean, there's just so many good things in here for a Star Trek fan to watch. And it's a good story. It's not just eye candy, you know, it's a good story. It's not just fan service. It's a really good story. And it's a great homage to the original series too. So, you know, Paul Wesley, you know, I'm not done with you yet, so I can't wait to see what you bring. I really am excited to see what his performance brings next season. So I'm going to give this episode, yeah, I think I'm, yeah, oh gosh, I don't know, 4.75 time crystals that I could touch to see what's going to happen next season. Oh, I wish we had those. (laughs) (laughs) I know the season's over now. I know this is so crazy. What are we doing next week? What's going? We don't have an episode to talk about. Um, we'll we'll pick an old episode of uh, Stargate. <laughs> sure. You know it's actually funny, and, and I maybe someday we should do this. But the little brief talk that we had about the Vulc- a Vulcan hello from Discovery. I'm like, I would love to talk about that episode with you. I don't know that we ever actually really did that. That was before no. that was well before we started positively track. That was before we started yeah, because I did that as a live show with Brandon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only time I've talked about that episode on air. I hey, let's do it. Let's talk about that. That would be fun. Yeah, well we'll do that sometime for sure. Yeah, let's do that. I would love to do that. The first two episodes, that the two parter things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think of them as one episode, even though they're two. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll do a series where we talk about the first episode of every series or something like that. That actually sounds familiar. Did we do an episode where we talked about our favorite pilot episodes? Yeah, we did do that. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that kind of sounds familiar to me. Yeah. But like maybe we'll go in depth on each one or something. I don't know. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I'd like to see which one we do for TOS. Is it the cage or where no man has gone before? Or both. <laughs> or both. <laughs> we got Why lots not? of episodes to do in the future. Uh, well, when you're watching those episodes, Dan, where can people find you? You can find me anywhere that discussion is happening about Star Trek. On Twitter, I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, the Positively Trek discussion group, my favorite place to talk about Star Trek. Instagram, Kurtrats47, all the places. Search up Kurtrats, it's probably me. If it's not, there's an imposter or an alternate timeline version of me. I don't know. Yeah, 
you'll be out there somewhere. We'll find you, right? So <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And if I'm not on Twitter, I'm in the Jeffrey's tube working on something with Scotty. Just, just he, sticking your arm in, right? <laughs> just, just the <laughs> arm. All you see is the arm. But uh, you can also find me on Instagram, just Admiral Rex. And, oh, and I was on a podcast recently called A Doctor and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. And we were discussing the series Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it was a, kind of a mini reunion with me and Mark Herleman from the Star Wars report on that show. So that was a lot of fun with those guys. So check that out. And, yeah, find us the show on Twitter and Instagram at positively Trek. Send us an email positively Trek at gmail.com. Find our Goodreads group where you'll see upcoming books. We've kind of taken a little break on the books, but we're coming back to it. And uh, yeah, well, those book club episodes are a lot of fun. We love the books and comics. And also you can find us on the Facebook, on the, on the Facebook, on the Facebook. <laughs> you can find us on the Facebook. But I was going to say, you can find us on the Facebook discussion groups or whatever it is. Anyway, <laughs> look for us on Facebook. We have a discussion group. We'll let you in. And there's great discussions happening there because that's where Dan is, right? He's hanging out in our great discussion group. And we want to thank our patrons on Patreon for all your support. This means a lot to us. There is some expenses involved in bringing the show to you each and every week, especially when we bring you more than one episode each and every week. And uh, of course, to you, the listeners, thank you so much. I was thinking the other day, I wish I knew every person that listens to this podcast and just to know how you listen to us, how it means to you, if we're helping you through troubled times or, you know, just through the work day or whatever it is, you know, I hope we're bringing some joy and happiness to your life by listening to this podcast. So. Because Dan brings joy and happiness to me by talking Aww. to him. So. And, and vice versa. Absolutely. It's always a highlight of my week, uh, sometimes twice a week when we do book club episodes, to be able to talk with you about Star Trek. So it's it's always so much fun. Oh, thank you. That's nice of you to say. I'll send you the check in the mail. Cha-ching! <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thanks for everyone for listening. And until next time, just go out into the world Keep your chin up and stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.